ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and growing up, it was pretty common, I don't know about you, but it was common where I lived to have a boarder stay in your home. It just wasn't out of the ordinary to go and stay at a friend's place and be introduced to the boarder who was living with them. No one really raised an eyebrow. Sometimes it was an international student, sometimes it was just a person who worked in the area and needed somewhere to live. Some boarders kept to themselves and you barely saw them, but sometimes they became like family. They'd sit and eat dinner with you at the table. They were expected to help around the house and clean up. And sometimes they'd even go on family holidays. So when did taking on a border fall away? Our homes are now bigger than ever. So you would think it would be easier to take on a border now, back then in the 70s and the 80s, when we, most of us didn't even have a second bathroom. So could taking on a border be a short-term solution to a few of the problems that we're facing? A short-term solution to housing affordability and accessibility and a short-term solution to cost of living because taking on a border can give you some extra money. And if you think about it, how many spare bedrooms do we have around the state at the moment? So would you and have you ever opened up your home to a border? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. My name's Rochelle Hunt and is it time to bring back a border? Did you have one when you were growing up? Did you have just different people staying in your home, whether it be international students or someone that lived in the local area? Did you rent out your spare bedroom? And maybe those who boarded with you became a part of the family. Maybe you still have relationships with these people. This text, it says it's hard enough to get rid of your adult children now. See, that's interesting. I guess when I was growing up, most of us left home at 17 or 18 and now children are staying at home longer. Is that a part of the reason why we're not taking on borders as often? This rich rehousing issue, maybe you should drop a granny flat in the backyard. Flat packed in with a crane, no room, maybe down the side of the house. Imagine how many families you could help by renting it out or selling it. That's from Mark in Mentone. If only it was that easy. I mean, putting a granny flat on now has lots of council restrictions around it. But maybe it's something you've considered taking on a border. Maybe you've never thought about it until now. Tony has taken many borders into his home. Tony, good morning. Over the years, how many borders have you had in your home? Over the last five years, approximately 30 i would suggest 30 because a lot come and go obviously and they uh a lot of them are international students so they are here for short periods of time and some a little, little bit longer but yeah at least 30 i would suggest so tell All us about how successful. you started to like what made you come up with this idea why did you start to open up your home to borders well i'd, I'd sold one of my businesses and i'd sort of semi-retired because of um some heart issues and so forth and and my wife and I were sitting at the table one night and she said, why don't we uh, look at, you know, because we've got three spare bedrooms there. And she said, why don't we look at taking in an international student or a boarder? And I said, that's not a bad idea. So I made some inquiries and got onto uh, a company called Homestay and they, they um, helped us out in that area. 
So if you're thinking, if people listen to this and thinking, oh, I don't know if I could imagine myself doing that, what what is it like? What do you need to consider? What's the realities of taking on a border? The reality is you can do as much or as little as you possibly want to. And so it's up to you. It's There's no um, set rules and there's no uh, requirement for you to do any more than you would even looking after your own kids, let's say. But... But it is uh, quite um, enjoyable and it's uh, fun most of the time because they're all very respectful people and and they uh, are here to make better lives for themselves and and it's great to help them out. And I'm in contact with at least 25 of them every day on, on wow. my Instagram. Or, oh, yeah, they, they, they become like family. Even if they're here for a short time, they still become like family. Isn't that incredible? Did you expect it to be like that? But you've sort of got 25... <laughs> New family members now. Well, yeah, I did. I did have. Going back to what your introduction was, there, I did go through that era of seventies and and sixties um, where my mother had borders in our house as well. Back then, obviously, a lot of Italian people because uh, she'd uh, help a lot of Italian young guys come out and get jobs and whatnot. But so I was used to it. But I never thought about doing it myself until uh, we got to this point where I wasn't working and. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you got, you still go through the money pretty quickly. So yeah. you just think, okay, one or two borders helps you pay a lot of your bills and pay for all the food for everybody and, and you know, you just um, benefit from that. I'm sure. starting to think back to the families that I grew up with and the reasons why they did it. And I absolutely, now it all makes sense, you know, as an adult and looking at how hard it is to make ends meet, you think, wow, actually, if you had an extra, whatever it is, say a couple of hundred dollars a week or a fortnight, that would go so far in just being able to help make uh, ends meet when it comes to cost of living, especially now. Tony, do you need to sort of set up house rules? How do you go about making sure that everybody's happy and then if things aren't, you know, what if someone's not pulling their weight? Yeah, absolutely. You uh, you get to know the people before they arrive and um, by emails and, and whatnot but, and chats. But um, yeah, there are, they're expected to uh, follow some house rules and you know, the boys here they do their own vacuuming in their rooms they do their own washing they do their own bed linen and um they have they, they find it no problem and i'm sure we're going to send a lot of them back to their parents overseas and their parents are going to be shocked at how much they can actually do now. <laughs> that's exactly right you've set them up well so tony it sounds like you would 100 percent recommend it to people oh absolutely and especially not so much um, only for like retirees or people who are empty nesters. There's an opportunity here if you've got like a young family who maybe the wife's uh, become a mother, a young mother, and she has to stay home now and suddenly the husband's wage's coming in and you've got these mortgages going through the roof as we see. Just to get that extra $300 a week from one room that's empty there anyway. And they, um, you know, as you said previously, it's it becomes quite a... Uh, family-orientated situation most of the time. It's uh, very enjoyable. Oh, well, I so, wonder if we'll ever see it get back to, to the rate that it was. Tony, thank you. It's been really good to pick your brain and just to see what works and what doesn't. Thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I was thinking about, you know, who would board, who wouldn't, this text. The Fonz was a boarder with the Cunninghams. Of course he was. And others saying in the UK, boarders were known as lodgers. It was really common, says Ron in Elstonwick. And this text, Rish, I was a boarder in the late 1950s and 60s when I was a bank officer. The bank had a social club magazine and potential landlords were able to advertise that they would take on boarders. My parents who lived in the country felt that boarding was much safer for me than flat sharing. So I had three different
different placings and I moved all around the suburbs depending on my job. That's Judy in Mount Eliza. And I know in regional areas at the moment, boarding has sort of become part and parcel for a lot of the hospitality region where there is nowhere for people to live. So if you wanted to get staff, you pretty much had to open up your house at the same time. So you've got a job and a room and that's something that's happening, I know, in areas like Dalesford, for example. Susie's in Cockatoo. Good morning, Susie. Good morning. Um, over the 40 years I've lived in my house up in the rural area, I've had quite a few boarders. Um, some have been short stay and they've been the easiest. I think one of the most important things is to communicate way set down your whatever rules you have in your house before they come i mean and i also think being a female is a little bit different to being a male um i had two male boarders here at one stage and one of them um was drinking wine with his toast every morning when for a while i thought it was apple juice <laughs> and i'd come home and uh, front door would be open and all the lights would be on and he'd left the oven on and when it came time for me to ask him to leave it was a little bit difficult. Yeah I'll be speaking to lawyers and the tenants union a little later as well because yes we heard Tony had a great experience and he feels like he's got 25 extra children now but I'm sure it doesn't always go to plan. No I've had some great ones too Um, I've also had another chat that a couple of times I said to him oh you, you, you know you're falling behind on your rent and he said he put it on the kitchen bench and it clearly wasn't on the kitchen bench and there was no one else here and he swore that he put it there and I know for a fact that he didn't. And then you've got to confront that person and that's awkward. It's awkward when you've got to ask him to leave. Yeah. Yeah, it really So you do have to consider all of that. Um, prior to taking someone into your home and there's a lot of trust involved as well. Look, I'm not saying it's I think it's a great thing. I've got three empty rooms and I'd love to do it again. But I I'm You do absolutely have to be careful. Yeah, Susie, thank you. Our veranda says this text was converted to a room that someone bought it in just post-World War II. And others saying, what about your mortgage? You have to be really careful of your type of mortgage and creating an income from rent and borders. It can have implications for your mortgage and insurance. We'll go into that as well. And others saying, I think this is a great idea for the elderly as it gives them the company. There's someone there to look out for them. So is this something that you've considered? Maybe you are an older person or you've got an ageing parent and you think the idea of taking on a border would really help. Maybe an international student is something that you've thought about as well. Not only does it give you some company, but it helps pay for those things that many of us are struggling to do at the moment. This is the Conversation Hour. spare bedroom and would you consider renting it out to boarders? Growing up my family never did it but I had heaps of mates whose families did. There was one family in particular every time you went there it was like a revolving door where you would just be introduced to the border. Sometimes that border would be really involved with the family. Sometimes you barely saw them. So is this something that we should start to consider? John's in Eltham. Good morning John. Oh, hi, Rochelle. Um, interested uh, in listening to this conversation, and it follows something I heard on the 
the national news last night about uh, this um, trend for people taking in borders and reference was made certainly last night to the fact that people are doing this to uh, earn tax-free income. Um, I'm an accountant by trade and uh, I'm just ringing in with a word of caution because um, I don't believe that income from borders is in fact tax-free income. Uh, the income you receive, I believe, will be accessible for tax purposes. Uh, and the other thing is, on an annual basis, and the other thing is that once you open your home up to a part income-producing purpose, mm. and it's no, it's no longer solely used for domestic purposes, you also potentially open yourself up to capital gains tax on the ultimate sale of your property, and also, there, there are other things such as insurance, which are easily overlooked, whereby if you fail to tell your, ins sorry, your insurance company that, that the purpose, you know, you, you've got uh, in income producing activities going on in your house and you make a claim, you, you do risk having uh, clause whatever pointed to to say, well, we, we weren't informed about situation it's a different risk to a purely domestic situation sorry uh we can't pay out your claim so it's really good john that you've raised that we're, we're going to be speaking to the lawyer and director of client services at, at tenant victoria in just a moment to go through some of those implications as well and whether or not it they're elements of tax incentives that need to be changed. You know, we have a rental crisis. We have an accommodation crisis in this state at the moment. So maybe changing some of those laws would open it up and it would give people the incentive to be able to open up the spare bedroom if they have it. Rish says this tax, it wasn't uncommon for young folk leaving regional and rural areas heading to the big smoke for work or study to get a private board with an elderly woman, but you would always need references required. And Adele says, I'm married our border Adele if you are listening and if it is safe for you to give us a buzz can you please call us David Brycroft is the founder and chief business development officer at My Stay International David lots of people are talking about how they used to do it maybe in the 70s and the 80s but it's a little trickier now there's tax implications we've got adult children that are living longer are we taking on borders and in particular international borders at the moment um, yes, look, look. we do have a rental crisis, as you pointed out. There are a lot of issues for a lot of segments of the population. And with the Australian Homestay Network working with education providers, it is tax-free revenue as long as it's properly managed, standards-based, you know, management of the people coming in. And we want to extend that to the other risk groups in Australia and encourage the government, as you said, to bring in tax incentives already for international students, it's tax-free. So it's just tax-free at the moment if it's an international yes. student, not if you had someone, yeah. say, in regional Victoria, someone that lives in Warrnambool, has got a placement at Melbourne University or a job in Carlton and needs somewhere to live, then you don't get those tax incentives. Not yet, but we are talking to government about bringing it in across the board because there are millions of spare rooms, like Tony's, who was on earlier, <laughs> millions of spare rooms in Australia, and they can't build accommodation quick enough for the demand. 
So the only way is for the government to give incentives for people to take boarders in or international students in or people in from risk groups, but make sure it's through a properly managed organisation because you don't have the problems of your previous call of SUS where, you know, left money on the kitchen table. All the payments should be done external to the relationship. So if you were to take on an international student at the moment, David, and let's say it's one student, what kind of income are you talking about? You're talking around $300 a week tax-free um, and you would perhaps be doing one or two meals a day included in that. It is considered a subsidised you know, cultural exchange from the host as well. But when you extend this to other risk groups, if we had the tax-free situation, as the accountant pointed out, you know, clarified by government for other risk groups, you know, we could get to any types of income, lower and higher, depending on the need of the host. So at the moment, if you had an elderly parent, or if you yourself maybe were thinking, okay, I'm getting a little older now, I would not only like the company, but I'd like the security of someone to stay in my home, I would consider a border. You would have a lot of tax implications there. But then, like you say, David, this could be something that would keep people in their homes longer. We know that there's a lot of pressure on our aged care system at the moment. What sort of response have you had from the government when you propose to extend these tax concessions? There's inquiries on all the time now because of the rental crisis. So we're we're getting a positive response, but, you know, action takes a little bit longer in government. Um, but look, we, we've successfully placed 60 or 70,000 international students into people's homes like Tony. And, you know, gen, generally it's an outstanding experience for the elderly person in their home. And we do think it will keep people in their homes longer. The idea, I mean, how many international students are going with private borders as opposed to a share house or sounds like you're about to get on a flight, so we're going to let you go in just a tick, David. Yes, <laughs> how, many, how many international students are actually using private homestays? Um, look, in, in Australia, people won't know this, but there's you know around 750,000 international students just in Australia at the one time. And they're all spread out trying to find accommodation like everyone else. So there will be a smaller percentage in hosted accommodation, which is called homestay, and there'll be a larger percentage in share house and purpose-built accommodation for students. David, it sounds like you're getting your final boarding call, so we're going to let you uh, run off and, and grab that flight. But thanks so much for making some time for Thank us. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. See, uh, David Brycroft there is the founder and chief business development officer of My Stay International. Vicky's in Wyndham Vale. Morning, Vicky. Oh, hi, how are you? Um, look, I'm a 65-year-old invalid pensioner paying now over half of my pension in what is not really reliable um, rental anymore. It could go from under me any moment. Um I did look into renting a room, and it's not the same as it was mm. 50 years ago, Rochelle. $350 a week for a small furnished room, but that didn't include anything else, and I'd have to get rid of everything I own. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that at my age? No. Alternately, if I were to put someone into a spare room in my place, uh, that is then considered income by Centrelink, and then that means that I run the risk of losing part of the income that I'm getting now, which is 
so yeah, it's a bugger all. Yeah. So and I guess, Vicky, too, when you think about the idea of boarding, and you raised such a good point, I didn't think about the idea of you moving out of your home and boarding. I, I would imagine someone moving into your home, Vicky, but then this is what we were talking about before with there needing to be potential changes to tax and to Centrelink and whatnot so that you can stay in your home, Vicky, but someone can rent out your room if you feel comfortable with that so yeah. that you get the company, but you also get the added uh, income per week. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, you can, in some cases, organise to have another person put on the lease. That's just not an option for me, unfortunately. Vicky, um, I'm sorry. I hope it changes because, you know, we keep talking about what are the long-term, uh, you know, well, solutions. Yeah. And then yeah. we have these short-term solutions that are there and it sort of feels like sometimes some things just need to be rushed over the line so that people can make those decisions and stay in their home as well. Caroline's in Glen Huntley. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning. <laughs> it, it struck a chord with me. Yeah. I did marry. I did marry the leaseholder. I, <laughs> so you bought the, it and you married the leaseholder. Yeah, yeah, it was 1972, and I needed somewhere to live. I was living in Sydney, and I went to something called Sharer Flat, I think, and they sent me to various places. Anyway, I, I turned up at this beautiful house in Castle Crag, overlooking the water. It was, it was lovely. And they said, what have you got? And the thing that got me in there was a television because the previous... <laughs> I know, it's very shallow, isn't it? No, it was 1972. 1972. And that TV got me a husband. Oh, my goodness. We don't do it anymore, Caroline, do we? And I wonder if it has just got too hard, if there's too much paperwork involved now. Um, maybe. I'm certainly not of an age. I've been a widow for 30 years and I have learned to live... I've had a brief flurries of having my son live with me, and um, there'd be there'd be a murder, I think, um, if he came back. Yeah. Um, no, he I can barely handle a house guest, let alone the idea of a no. border. But in theory, I think it's a, a really good idea. I love the idea too, Caroline, that you ended up marrying the person who took you into their home. This text is from Louise in Elwood. My grandmother had borders in the 1950s. It was actually really quite common for widows to do this as most had no skills to work outside the home. It was a nice thing for our family and my aunt actually ended up marrying one of the borders. See, this is quite common. Common, isn't it? This text, not with young kids, no way, I wouldn't consider it. So maybe you have, maybe you did it in the past, and maybe now you're thinking, actually, we do have the space. Could we look into taking on a border? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So between our housing crisis and cost of living, is it time to bring boarding back? Do you have a spare bedroom? And how many spare bedrooms do we have across the state? And do we need to look at some of the tax implications? Do we need to loosen some of those up so that more and more of us would consider opening up our homes and opening up our spare rooms. Adrian in Mount Waverley says, Rish, I live in a home share program run by Uniting Age Well and it pairs the elderly homeowner with a person who's needing accommodation. Josephine's in Wheelers Hill. Good morning. Hi. Um, it's, uh, about the uh, border, we had a border when we first got married because we had empty space and... Uh, Oh, it was a disaster. She left doors open and we had a mouse come in and we were, oh, she left the heater open, which was an oil heater you shouldn't open. And, oh, it was a disaster. But uh, 
you know, we never did it again after that, unfortunately. Yeah, if you have one bad experience. Did you did you go through a, not that I want you to name anyone, but did you go through an organisation or was this sort of something that no, you just... A school, a school um, um, not a friend, but a school... Yeah, like a friend of a friend type thing. Friend of a friend, yeah, yeah from school. And uh, yeah, she was looking for accommodation while she was at uni and it just didn't work out, unfortunately. I wonder too, when we were speaking to homestays, I like the idea of going through a third party that manages the money. They're almost like the real estate agent, so to speak. So if you have any issues, they would set up the rules yeah. and the boundaries. And I wonder whether yep. that would make it easier. Probably, probably. But, yeah. uh, you know, it was, it was all right. We sort of resolved it by, you know, saying, unfortunately, we couldn't keep it. Yeah, it's time for you to leave. We, we have to sell the house. We're moving. I'm sorry. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> you not have quite. to go too. <laughs> but I had, a, I had a rental flat and that was empty for 12 months with the COVID and everything. And that was nearly killing me because, you know, I didn't have a income coming in to pay the mortgage. And, uh, yeah, it's the idea of, you would hope that this could adventure. be... Oh, I know, but you would hope this could be a win-win. This could be a win-win for everyone at the moment, but it would just need a couple of things to change. And I know it's not always going to work, Josephine. Like you said, you know, you've got someone that leaves the door open or doesn't put the toilet seat down or, you know, is a messy eater or whatever it may be. Rish, my grandmother, also had a boarder who was a gardener and looked after her garden. It was perfect. Well, Sophia Marsland is a lecturer in urbanism at the School of Architecture, Design and Planning at the University of Sydney. Sophia, lots of texts talking about the 50s, Mm. the 60s and the 70s. Yet it is something that's falling away now. Boring yep. was more common, wasn't it, decades ago? Yeah, it used to be quite common. And I think listening to some of the stories that you've um, had with for listeners uh, phoning in, uh, the very common sort of practice, particularly for single women, potentially widows, um, um, bringing a sort of more of an economic angle to it, I guess, in terms of being able to keep their homes and... Um, uh, afford things. So it was one of the options available to, to women in these um, circumstances. My my grandfather's mother took in boarders after his father died. So, um, and he remembers the front door never really ever being locked because of the stream of boarders <laughs> coming through. So how is it now that our homes have got bigger, you know, mm. more people than not might have an ensuite or a second bathroom. Mm. We've got more bedrooms than ever before. You know, we used to have one bathroom and there would be bunks or multiple bunks in bedrooms and yet people still mm. managed to take on borders. When did mm. it start to change? Uh, most likely I'd say it's sort of um, probably on that cusp around the 70s, 80s when there was a bit of a, you know, more of a, I guess, a transition. Um, we've always been a homeowning society, um, so this idea of boarding is slightly, I guess, um, a little bit stigmatised. Um, obviously, welfare comes into this as well in terms of not needing support from, um, you know, boarders if you're able to get a pension for being a widow, things like that. Uh, it sort of fluctuates around with like the cost of living crisis and housing crisis, like what we're seeing now. So um, I would say it's mainly an economic driver that um, that sort of pushes the sort of popularity of it or mm. its decline. Yeah. So if there were to be tax changes and tax concession mm. changes so that the incentive was different and all of a sudden people went, 300 bucks a week, I could 
that would help. That would be huge. And I honestly think it would potentially work, that it would help some people and it would be win-win. Do you think mm. that if we were to change the financial restrictions around it, that it might bring it back into vogue? Uh, quite possibly. I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, you don't want to do this unless, you know, as you say, we were people on limited incomes already. You don't want to be sort of, I guess, uh, further penalised for taking in someone to essentially help cover your costs. Um, so in that sense, yes. And I think the other, the other thing that really matters, though, obviously, is your relationship with the border in terms of whether it's a good fit or not and I think we've heard that through some of the stories that sometimes you know it's your home that you're sharing so you have to be um, I guess okay with other people mm. living there with you and you know sometimes it works really well and other times as we've just heard it can end in disaster but it can also end in marriage which is really heartwarming. There's quite a few that end in marriage strangely (laughs) and I guess the other thing we've seen is we've seen alternative models of of housing Mm. rise over the last few decades and you know whether it be share houses or Mm. intergenerational living things that we wouldn't kids staying at home longer so there's lots of factors like that that would see borders fall away. Yes, definitely. I mean, we've always had, say, the traditional boarding house, which in itself has always been um, very, I guess, unfairly stigmatised as opposed to taking in lodges or borders. But we also have, as you say, for the last, I don't know, couple of decades, a growth in share housing. Um, we have now have, you know, a lot of co-living arrangements. Um, so the small rooms in, in, again, a sort of almost a boarding house in itself, but mm. slightly higher uh, amenities there and there's a lot more openness to it um, partly again because of economic reasons but also because it's not unusual now for people to move and need to you know young people moving out by themselves and needing places like this um so, yeah, there's lots of people saying, I can't get rid of my kids. You know, they're, they're still there. Yeah, <laughs> totally. They're still there now. That's it. Once upon, well, I, you know, once I asked for my students, so how many of you are share housing? And only one was. And I was shocked because I was like, that's a rite of passage, right? Yeah. You go to university. But it's even too expensive. Yeah, so my, my daughter said to me the other night, how old were you, mum, when you moved out of home? And I said, I was 17. And she looked at me aghast. Like, she was doing the maths in her head until how long she had until she had to get out of home. And it wasn't long. Yeah, it wasn't long, no. <laughs> Sophia, thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. Sophia Marsland, she's a lecturer in urbanism at School of Architecture, Design and Planning. Greg and Fitzroy have sent this incredible text that says, Rochelle, in the UK, we had a happy single female friend, Leslie. She was a professional, had a job and managed to buy her own home. Leslie always had a lodger, but she had rules. Okay, so Greg has gone and listed out the rules that Leslie had here. One, the lodger had a principal residence and residence elsewhere. Two, only needed accommodation from Monday morning until Friday afternoon, meaning Leslie had her home to herself over the weekend. I'm starting to really dig, Leslie. Three, Lodge's room could be used for her friends as weekend guests. Four, made your own breakfast and evening meals. Five, paid rent with cash and no legal documents, <laughs> but you need a driver's licence or official mail and rental address, blah, blah, blah. And for 14 years, she still managed to run this. Les is like an adopted auntie to his children. We should be allowed to have these lodges here in Australia. That's from Greg in Fitzroy. Meg's in South Gippsland. Good morning, Meg. 
Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, uh, look, I, it would have been about 65 years ago now, because um, I'm 80 this year, but my grandmother, um, uh, when she was widowed, she lived in a beautiful old house in Caulfield, and her uh, my, my parents decided that it would be a good idea to get some lodges in to keep her company and help up with the garden and, you know, all the rest of it. And uh, the thing that happened was they moved in, and gradually over a period of months, they siphoned off everything and then disappeared. So mm. they just ripped off everything she had. And, she, you know, and then mum and dad kind of turned up and went, oh, my God. The only thing that was left was the beautiful old oak table and chairs. Oh, and nobody no. Them anyway, it was terrible. Yeah. So I, I would not be... <laughs> And I think there's a, this is what we've been sort of discussing, Meg, too. There's a big difference, isn't there, between a kind of loosey-goosey arrangement between someone you barely know and needs a room versus going through an organisation that orchestrate yeah. it and, and run it and that you've got yeah. – they've done the due diligence and the background checks for you. So that's yeah. – that's yeah. but that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. That would have – that's just terrible that that happened to your yeah. parents. She was such a gracious, beautiful old lady. I was so close to her. I just felt really sort of, it was a filthy thing to do. Yeah. Really? Anyway, yeah. Oh, Meg, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Rish, when my parents arrived from Holland in 1950, they bought a house, but they couldn't really afford it. So they took a recently arrived couple from Ukraine. As a child, I loved this couple. They were so good to us. I always wanted their bread instead of ours, even though it was exactly the same. They lived with us for eight years, even though it was just meant to be a temporary arrangement. And that's from Anya, who's in Paran. Have you taken on a border? Maybe you're considering it now. Would you take an international student into your home? And would you like to to see tax concessions changed. So this is something that's easier for us to do. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Would you consider taking in a border? Maybe you've already done it or maybe it was something that your folks or that your parents did in the 50s, the 60s and the 70s. Tex Rish, backyard bungalows are really popular for borders. And we've heard stories where it's worked beautifully. People even marrying their borders or the people whose homes they were living in. Stories of families staying for eight years. But then, as we just heard from Meg, we've heard disastrous stories where people have come home and everything in their home has been stolen. So what are the laws, what are the regulations around taking in a border? Amy Frew is a lawyer and director of client services at Tenants Victoria. Amy, what do you need to consider either as a border or as a, a, a homeowner that is thinking about taking in a border? Uh, hi, Rochelle. Um, there's actually, it seems like your callers have already covered quite a few of the issues. And the first thing to really think about is it's, it isn't an area that's highly regulated at the moment. And I think that's being reflected in the callers with a variety of experience. For people who are thinking of, of becoming a boarder, what the thing that they need to consider, I guess, is the what they want out of it as well. So the security and, I guess, um, you know, a regular renter would have a, a lease and they'd be protected by the Residential Tenancies Act and they would have certain rights. Um, with someone who's a boarder, they may not have those rights and it might be that they that, that arrangement ends quite quickly um, and, and for, indeed for both, for both sides. So some people might like that flexibility, 
But for some people who are looking for a more secure option, that might be something that they really need to keep in mind. There's a text here from Tony in Gisborne and it says, I think the government should actually be providing incentives to ease the housing crisis rather than taxing people for letting out their rooms. They show little interest in providing affordable housing, yet they are taking more money in through their inactivity. Would you like to see, I mean, we do have a housing crisis at the moment. Mm. Is this a potential short-term solution if it's done properly? You know, if, if some of the the, the tax uh, the tax incentives were put into place, if all of the legalities were put in by, say, the tenants' union or by something like homestays, could this be a good short-term solution? Do you think? I think it, it could be for some people, and I think it's really on a case by case basis. So I think. It's not the total solution, obviously, and and what we'd really like to see is is more social housing being built, um, and more you know more, more overall. Housing. But that takes a long time, um, right? It so does. Yes, yes. In the yep. short so, term, you've got people couch surfing and sleeping in cars and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's right. And I think it is a really good option for some people. And um, I think it's just about people making decisions for themselves around. It, the arrangement they'd like to set up as well. For example, you could um, just have a private arrangement and I'm not familiar with, with the exact details of um, of the guests you had earlier with My Stay International, mm. but in in general, I guess, when you're entering in, into the arrangement, it could be, you know, from either side, you'd, you'd have to think about what agreement you might want to make in writing. If you did want the protections of the Residential Tenancies Act, you'd be good, well served to use the um, the rental agreement that's provided by Consumer Affairs Victoria, which just gives both parties certainty. Um, but certainly it's something that, you know, could be could be really mm. good for some people. Um, but I guess the, the, the flexibility has, you know, pluses and minuses. And I guess from our perspective, from renters, we'd always be thinking like, just make sure that it's something that they've entered into willingly. They feel like they're, um, you know, not disempowered. Obviously, living in someone else's house, you're, you know, living by their rules. But they need to. That needs to be fair, and there shouldn't be a sense of being you know, exploited or sort of a big power differentiation. Well, that's it. We heard from Leslie's rules earlier. You had to be there Monday morning to Friday mm-hmm. afternoon and someone else could then come and sleep in your room uh, over the weekend. But I guess if everybody agrees, right? So if you're, yeah, if you live if in I- regional Victoria and you go home to your folks on the weekend, then so be it, as long as everybody's on the same page. That's right. Yeah, I think those kind of arrangements could be perfect for some people and for some people they could find that onerous and I guess everyone has to find the, the match for them. Um, and I guess the idea with anything is just going to, with your eyes wide open, be clear about what both parties want, um, have it in writing and hopefully that will set the course for the, for the um, yeah, the So people time. are thinking about it, they can either, uh, maybe someone's thinking about becoming a boarder, they should contact Tenants Victoria, but for homeowners, Consumer Affairs Victoria. So that way then you can just put some paperwork in place and everybody knows uh, what to expect and that it, there is some kind of binding agreement between the two parties. Yeah, that would, I think that would be um, very sensible. Amy, good on you. Thank you. Thank you. Amy Frew, lawyer and director of client services at Tenants Vic. This text is from RJ in Druin. Hey, Rish, my nan back in the 1950s had a teacher board in her caravan. She also had her brother. The house was two bedrooms. She was a widow for years. The male teacher actually became a family friend. Ron's in Benella. Hi, Ron. Hey, good day. How are you? Good, mate. What do you think? Um... Well, I'm 79. I do a bit of artwork to try and supplement the pension. 
Um, my missus still works, so she only works a couple of days a week. Mm. But over a certain amount, any which is not very high, any extra money she earns costs me 50 cents in the dollar yeah. of my pension. Now, we live in a four-bedroom house where we have one main bedroom with an ensuite. We're going to put a little kitchenette in there. We want to rent it or take on a border. But I can see that affecting my pension even more. So, see, that's ridiculous, Ron, isn't it? That everything yeah. should be made so that that becomes so viable for you to do because you win, and whoever gets to live in that little studio apartment wins as well. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what kind so, of restrictions you know, might- have you got at the moment? What have they? What have you been told? Um, so, we haven't um, hit up Centrelink as far as that's concerned, and they're always very loath to give advice mm. on some, you know, and what your entitlements are because it just means they fork out more money, I guess. Um, but the thing is, uh, like, I get a little bit of money from artwork, uh, and then combined, that is combined with my wife or my partner's income of two days a week. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. Ron, look while. into an international student. I mean, we heard from MyStay before, and it, it's a bit easier when it's an international student. So that might be... Look, not that I'm giving you advice. I'm just saying to call yeah. him and have a chat. But th- that might well, be your workaround there because there is no... Um, it's tax-free. Yeah, I, I understand that. But is it is it also... You're going to lose your pension. Basically. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. So that's the trouble. Oh, Ron, that's I hope it works out for you because it's such a good idea. And... Yeah, there would be more people like yourself as well. And the idea of putting in a little kitchenette, that's brilliant. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then you would have your own yeah, space. Yeah, own on It's a decent-sized room. So it's, I mean, we're pretty keen to do it. I really hope it works. It up, so. good, anyway. on you. good on you, Ron. I really hope that it works. I mean, it just seems to make sense, doesn't it? Meg Montague is the chair of Hands Up, which is the peak body for home share programs all across Australia and New Zealand. Ron's idea is brilliant, Meg, yet he's potentially going to lose Centrelink benefits if he does it. Yet he's, you know, he and his wife, they've got four bedrooms, they only use one. Uh, it, yes. should, it should be something that works for people, shouldn't it? It should be something. And we've got wonderful data now that... Um, there's over 177,000 people over the age of 70 who live in Greater Melbourne and have got more than two bedrooms and they live alone. So we know there's a huge resource out there. Home sharing's such a great idea um, and essentially it's uh, a boarding arrangement, I guess you could say. But um, for people who don't know, home sharing was started in the 70s in the US, idea being try and keep older people living in their own homes and communities by finding someone to share their their housing, uh, mutual benefit, wonderful arrangements where people could get affordable housing, older people could have companionship. And um, we've introduced that into Australia 20 years ago uh, and like to see a lot more of it happening because it's, it does two mm. things, keeps older people connected to their communities, able to afford their accommodation, and it, it uh, arra- allows home sharers to... Uh, to find affordable accommodation. It and just get seems that it's stacked against people in order to do it at the moment, though, financially. We know that MyStay were promoting to the government to, to make changes here. Is this something that at home share that you've been actively speaking to, whether it be councils or to state or federal well, government, yeah. to, to change the rules? Yes, well, we actually had advice from the ATO a few years ago that a boarding arrangement where um, people who come into your home and share your facilities and that is part of it, um, 
and make a contribution towards the costs of running the home, the utilities, um, that sort of thing, it doesn't enter the tax system. So I think, um, I mean, people have different arrangements. I'm not saying that would work for everybody, Mm. but certainly in the home share context, that's the advice we've had. And that's what home share programs negotiate. I suppose the other thing I'd like to say is that people have talked about risk. They've had home sharers who, you know, people living in their homes who weren't very satisfactory and they didn't quite know what to do about it. Um, Working on this arrangement through a home share program gives people a lot more confidence. Yes, you know, I mean, police checks are done, referee checks are done, uh, the homeowner's supported with a contract that's made between the home sharer and the homeowner. And then if things go a bit pear-shaped, there's advice and support there to help people work it out. Are you so, receiving more calls at the moment, Meg? Is, what oh, sort yes. of, how many inquiries are you fielding? Are you, have you seen it go up over the last, say, 12 months? Well, I should emphasise that, that Hansa is actually a peak body. We don't run services directly. We support agencies that run services, though we do get a lot of calls. And we've had so many more in the last year or two. Partly COVID, people realised how isolated and lonely they were living alone. Partly lack of affordable housing. Partly uh, concerns about older people wanting to stay in their own homes and not move into supported accommodation. So we get many, many more calls. We'd love there to be more home share programs in the community that we can refer people to. Um, But um, the New Zealand government's just said, great idea, let's do it. And they've funded pilot programs in Auckland. So uh, we're very hopeful. And is it working in New Zealand? They've just started. And Hansa is supporting them with training, resources, um, ideas. um, They're always uh, first, aren't they? They're so forward thinking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we do have programs here. We do have know, programs here, but, but New there's Zealand's no government always take funding that, program. They always take that first step and, and try something. Hopefully it works and then, you know, in Australia we'll have that confidence to follow suit as well. Just finally, Meg, I could see that this would be something that be, would be incredibly beneficial for regional Victoria. So especially if you've got work placement or if you're having to travel around for yep. work. At the moment, yep. short stays yep. in Airbnbs. You're seeing companies hire out short stays apartments, which is taking rental stock of the long-term market, if this was something that was seen as a, a viable option for, I don't know, a doctor that was going on to placement to Bendigo for six months, for example, it yes. could really work. And we've had so many inquiries from regional Victoria, local citizens getting together and saying, this is not working, let's see what other alternatives there are. So, yeah, it's yeah. definitely something that people want. Um, what we need is a bit more government support so to set up services so that it's not just up to the individual to find a border, find a home sharer, that it's a, a more, um, a safer, um, better organised process. That's it. And they have, they feel like they've got those protections wrapped around them. Absolutely. Well, people yes. can contact you. It's Hansa, H-A-N-Z-A, which is the peak body for home share, or they can at least jump onto your website to get more information. Meg, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for raising the issue. Great. Meg Montague there, who's the chair of Hansa. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Take care.